0: The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BoundlessPursuit for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at BoundlessPursuitFishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.Boundless-Pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. Today's guest is one of the most badass outdoorsmen or outdoors women you may have never heard of. And we've got a very special surprise cameo lined up in this episode from an elite hunter and invasive species control specialist. But our guest, Erica Haller, is as real as they come. And her experience in the outdoor space is very hard to match, having spent time as a park ranger in a wide spectrum of ecosystems. From law enforcement in Colorado, the wilderness areas of Southern California, the volcanoes of Hawaii, Glacier Bay National Park, Yellowstone, and right in my backyard, Everglades National Park. And you're talking about a wide range of experience from law enforcement, first aid education, the various tasks of park management in almost every landscape and topography that this country has to offer. And very uniquely, she's involved in the falconry program here in South Florida, where she trains and handles various raptors. And her videos of handling these birds, providing airport security and safety, is really what drew me to her Instagram page. And that's where you get to see some of her day-to-day handling of these incredible animals. And now, Erica and these hawks are in the trenches in South Florida's unique battle against damaging exotic reptiles and birds. And together, they're teamed up on the front lines, providing control measures against things like iguanas, giant pythons, and just different disruptive species of birds and whatever kind of animals they get sent to. But this is a fishing podcast. But make no mistake, Erica is a very talented fly angler, where she sharpened her sword in the backcountry of the 10,000 islands in the Everglades, chasing fish like tarpon, snook, and redfish. And while she's primarily a recreational angler who just loves the sport, she's also spent time professionally as a guide out west and competitively here in South Florida. And she spent time chasing different species in mountain streams, inshore estuaries, and offshore for pelagics. And Erica Haller is just a great example of the diversity that the Balanced Pursuit podcast aims to demonstrate. A surprisingly talented individual that I know you're going to enjoy listening to and learning from. This is Erica Haller, featuring Lilith the Harris's Hawk. But anyway... Erica, after all the trials and tribulations of of getting you on here, all my I apologize for all my technical difficulties. I'm I'm not Mr. Uh, computer Guru here, but <laughs> I I you know we brag to, I brag too much about having a perfect record of no technical difficulties. But um uh, um I appreciate you anyway taking some time out of your busy schedule. I am a very close watcher of your like social media accounts because I, I I love the stuff that you do. You're probably Male or female, one of the most like dynamic outdoors people that I follow. But because of your experience, yeah. like, and obviously we're gonna try to cover as much of it as we can. But very expansive, like, experience in the outdoors, um, doing park ranger stuff. And if I leave one out, let me know. But like Hawaii, Colorado, Alaska, Florida, California, some,
1: North California. Carolina. Um, and then I worked in Wyoming outside of Yellowstone for a little while too. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, you've gotten the full range of everything from mountains to swamps to, I don't know if you've been in deserts, but it's like, you, you've seen like the whole like topographic range, which is really fascinating to me. Cause as much as I love the outdoors, I feel like I've been a little bit sheltered. I haven't gotten to see those things, but, um, angler, obviously this is a fishing podcast, but I'm going to ask a lot of stuff about the falconry. That, that is so interesting to me. I want to, you have to help me not let that like hijack the whole conversation. Cause it's like, okay, <laughs> try to cover all the layers that you have as an out, as outdoorsman, outdoors person. I'm fine um, with
1: outdoorsman. I'm fine with that term. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, but anyway, yeah. so like, you know, I sift through a lot of stupid things on social media, like anybody else, um, dumb stuff on Instagram and, uh. I, I ran across your page. I think it was the falconry stuff, and I was, oh, that's so cool, because it that has been one of those things. You know, you get these obs- these random interests, and that was ironically one of one of mine. It's never been something I really dove down into, but I I remember we had a we had like a falconer come to my college campus when I was at the Citadel, and do a demonstration for my biology class, and I thought it was like the coolest thing, and. My first mind went to like, how does one get into that? And so if I guess if we're going to land anywhere, because I don't want to leave our special guest waiting, (laughs) we'll, we'll start there and then we'll, then we'll get to the meat and potatoes of the fishing. Yeah. But tell me a little bit about the falconry, how you got into that. um, And then I've got a lot of questions about it.
1: So um, I've been into falconry for a long time. Um, when I was a kid, I read the book "My Side of the Mountain." Did you ever read that book growing up?
0: No, and 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 I feel very ashamed. I've I've not done nearly enough reading in my life as I should have.
1: Well, you're outside so. playing a lot, so that's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I I read that book when I was in middle school, and oh, it's a d- d- if it has
0: movie. pictures, maybe I'll pick it up.
1: The picture on the front Coloring is pages. a boy with a falcon, and oh, I yeah. was sold. I was sold. Yeah. So I read that book as a kid, and um, it's about a young kid that befriends a red-tailed hawk. And that was my favorite book in middle school. And he just survives on a mountain, learning how to hunt and survive out in the woods with this red-tailed hawk as his companion. And my parents kind of saw that interest in mine and decided to start taking me to the local bird of prey rehab That was maybe about
0: 30
1: minutes from my house. Yeah. So it was uh, from a young age. I was really interested in raptors, really interested in working close with them. And my parents were really, really, I'm so thankful that they were passionate enough to help me out with it, Mm -hmm. you know, and they wanted me to pursue my goals and pursue my own interests. Oh, this is funny. She's looking at you on the screen. (laughs) I don't think she's (laughs) ever- It's because I
0: look like a rat. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Can I kill that thing?
1: Can you, huh? she gonna do so uh <laughs> i had an interest in working with animals since i was a young kid and kind of like you i was in college and saw a demonstration with uh, an owl at my uh, college i went to colorado state university in okay. fort collins and similar thing i saw another uh demonstration with i think it was a barred owl that they were flying Mm-hmm. And they were demonstrating the different sounds that birds make in flight, depending upon their feather structure. And the barred owl flew past us, and you couldn't hear it. Their feathers are yeah. absolutely silent, and it was just one of the neatest things. And I kind of had <laughs> another experience like you, thinking, "How do I get that job? How do I get to be that person working yeah. <laughs> with wildlife?" And uh, that was just another, you know, incredible um, experience. But that was about ten years ago. Mm, okay. So um, it took me a while to kind of get my foot in the falconry door. And I found a company that was going to support me getting my license. Oh, don't don't poop on camera. I found a company that was willing to support <laughs> me uh, with my license and willing to support me with feeding my hawks, maintaining them, keeping all the supplies and things like that. And it's just been a marvelous, marvelous thing that I've turned into a career. It's been an interest of mine for years, and now I've been able to make it um, a career choice as a an abatement falconer. That would kind of be my um, my title, I guess.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I I like what you mentioned. Like as far as parenting, a lot of times the least that a good parent can do is just like facilitate the opportunities and you don't got to be the one that like necessarily does the educating, but if you, all you got to do is take the kid there, but, but um yeah, that was I that was similar. Whenever I was at the Citadel, they kept trying. I think I told you this. They kept trying to bring these various birds out. Um, Gosh, I've like I forgot what all they had. They had a different kinds of owls. They had like some type of vulture. But on Ooh. our campus at the Citadel, we have like these. They were like the campus mascots because like on our parade is a military college for anybody who doesn't know. So it's like a parade deck. So it's this massive like grassy field, and we had these like very well known pair of red tailed hawks, and 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 they ruled that campus with an iron talon, <laughs> iron <laughs> claw being corny here and uh man i felt so bad this guy wanted to do the demonstration and our local hawks just kept dive bombing all of his birds Mm -hmm. but um yeah that that's nuts so i'm just thinking like you know how do you find like i don't know was it like a a job posting i mean (laughs) where do you begin with with that
1: So it's a really small field. I mean, there are probably less than 500 falconers, I imagine, in the whole state of Florida. Maybe even less than that. I have to find those numbers. So um, once you, uh, there's three different levels of licensure. Um, Once you are an apprentice, you've worked with hawks for two years, and then you can become a general falconer, which allows you to work with multiple species like your Harris's hawk. This is a Harris's hawk. Okay, um, And you can work with some larger species, some more complicated species. After five years of being a general falconer, then you become a master falconer. So once you kind of make it through that introductory first two-year um, degree, I'd call it, then you kind of become part of like a closer-knit of uh, falconers. And people kind of know each other, and job opportunities pop up, and it's kind of through like a word-of-mouth thing that, hey, so-and-so in this state needs birds for working at this site, and so-and-so. And this state needs, you know, help controlling the iguana population or help Mm -hmm. controlling um, the migratory Canada geese uh, flying down from Canada. So it's kind of a small community where we all help each other out. Like, oh, you've got extra hawks that need, you know, to be flown around. Maybe we can send them to this site and and exercise them there. So I really found it through word of mouth, which I'm very lucky. And um, yeah, I got the job a little over a year, a year and a half ago or so and it's been a wonderful career.
0: Now that, because I get really interested in like what they do because like to <laughs> to make it clear and I guess I need to establish this anybody that's listening like just the audio like you're whole you're actually holding a uh, I already forgot the name of it you're holding a hawk <laughs> So if you, if you if you want to see how impressive this thing looks uh you you have to check out the YouTube version of this but uh just, so I I mean that's got to be the, the best cameo I've had some, oh god I just I just attacked the camera uh, <laughs> but um but to be clear these these things aren't pets you know, it's not uh, and I'm sure that there's a good bond and a good relationship, but they they serve an actual purpose. And that's where I get real interested, because it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, man, what a cool thing to have for a pet, um, you know, but 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 it's something that needs to be working. It needs to be, I'm I'm guessing, stimulated. It can't just sit in a cage. It's not like it's not like a it's not like a, a parakeet that sits in a cage in the corner of the house and repeats your words and sings songs and it's fun to play with. Like, this thing is actually utilized for a purpose. And I know I, I've watched your stuff, so I'm at least a little bit familiar with some of what, it, what the Hawks are used for. Uh, but maybe just give a rundown on, like, job assignments. Um, because I've seen you at, like, I guess we'll start here. I've seen you at, like, airports, like consistently at airports. I'm like, "What what is that about?" to like clear the runway of birds that could like strike the airplane, I'm guessing.
1: You hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, that's kind of where we got our start with using falcons to control uh birds like seagulls, like crows, grackles. Um any sort of like migratory bird that can end up down here in Florida, chances are they might be attracted to an airstrip.
2: Okay. Think about all
1: of the airports that have you know, food sources all around them, dumpsters full of food. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's also lots of uh, abandoned hangars and areas around airports where those birds can find quiet areas to nest. And then they have a really easy food source at some of those dumpsters in those airport areas. So birds will fly through, they'll stick around at those airports for a couple of weeks. Sometimes they'll try to stay around for months. And the alternative to using falcons would be it's, it's not ideal. It would be using like poisons and shotguns and things like that right. to deter those birds from staying in the airports. Um, and that's what some airports do use for their wildlife mitigation plan. Now, we got a call maybe about 15 years ago. Um, airports wanted to look into other methods of controlling those seagulls and controlling um, those shorebirds that would show up. And uh, this has been a practice going for, I don't know, 30, 40 years using falcons around airports. And We got a contract in, I think, 2008 or something like that, and we go to these airports three or four times a week. We have their staff drive us around all the taxiways, and we're in constant communication with the uh, control tower. The control tower is saying, hey, we got a flock of seagulls coming in from northeast at this directional heading. They'll let us know where they're coming, (laughs) where they're landing. We'll drive off to that side of the airport, and I'll let her fly and chase after them. And by doing that, we're establishing in the minds of those seagulls, in the minds of those pigeons, we're telling them, hey, a hawk lives here. There's a hawk Mm -hmm. that lives at that airport. You want to go far, far away, take your friends and go find somewhere else to call home. So we'll fly her around that airport for three or four hours a day, constantly chasing after the same group of birds. We'll kind of push them farther and farther down the airstrip, um, And we're just establishing that thought in their mind that there's a big, scary predator and they need to find somewhere else to go. And sometimes it's a a long-term game where I'll have to show up to the same airport, you know, for four weeks in a row before those birds kind of get the message and move on. Other times it's been, you know, maybe one shift there and we'll fly the hawk around and those birds get the message and they're gone by the next day. So some days can be super successful, others not so much, um, but it's all just sort of a a long-term game. Yeah.
0: Right. And, like, I guess the other thing I wonder about is like, what is stopping? Obviously, there's like a, there's a train, what I'm getting at, there's obviously like a training involved, but I'm like, okay, why is, why does the hawk not just like when you, when you let it loose, just fly off into the abyss, never to be seen again? Like, how does it know what you want it to do? Is it, how much of it is instinctual versus like training? And then I become like, I'm like, how are you training a hawk? Like, I, I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit and not we get... could talk
1: for hours. It's, it's fast, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but like working with these hawks, is just like working with seeing eye dogs, working with, uh, police dogs. There's certain birds that are better destined for certain jobs, right? And some birds, you'll never be able to turn them into a falconry bird. So, um, these birds, okay. So let me, let me start off with their species, Harris's hawk. So this is not a bird that you're going to find in Florida, naturally. They come from the desert. They come from like Mexico proper. You'll find them up in New Mexico and Arizona and things like that. So they're really good desert bird. Makes them great with picking up with the heat and humidity they do find here in Florida. But what makes the Harris's Hawk unique is their behavior, their temperament. She is hanging out. She is happy to sit on my glove. She looks at me as a hunting companion in the wild their species they hunt with their family members they they hunt in packs which is super 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 unique they've yeah. seen up to i think 20 harris's hawks all flying together in what we call a cast and all chasing after game working together to help out you know the entire group okay. so that is so abnormal in the bird world it's normally every bird for themselves you know unless you have a nesting situation then they're flying back to provide food for the nest but most of the time they don't they want to be solitary so this bird having that background of wanting to be social makes them a really great species to want to work with a falconer they're already kind of predestined to want to have a, a partner to hunt with um so what she looks to me for is a safe place to perch my glove And then she also looks to me for, for food and for fun. So kind of like training your dog, every time your dog comes to its name and sits, you give it a little bit of food. I give her a tiny little tidbit of food every time she flies back to me. Um, Every time she does something good, there's always a small teeny food reward. There's constant food rewards. Um, When I'm training them at the beginning, let's, you start to work with these hawks when they're about four months old or so. Okay. When I'm first starting to work with the bird, I'm not letting her go of this. We call this a leash. I'm not letting her go too far away from me. She might fly and land in a tree and say, sayonara, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so when we're first training the birds, we keep them on maybe about 150 feet of paracord. So that way they can fly away a little bit. But we're trying to show them, hey, you want to keep flying back to us. You want to come to us and and trust us. So um, the first couple of weeks that you work with a hawk, it's really just showing them that They can trust you. Your glove will always be a safe place and you'll always have food for them. So that's kind of the things that you want to establish in their mind that they want to trust you and find safety and being in your, you know, next to you. Um, So then as you start to train them and allow them to go out and go chase things, the fun for them is is chasing. Quite often um, we'll pursue birds, chase them, but she won't catch them. She'll maybe catch something once a week maybe more than that but mm-hmm. for her the fun is just chasing after a grackle chasing after a pigeon i mean that is what's in her dna that's what she's yeah. meant to. so she'll go out chase something maybe land on a tree i'll whistle back to her and she'll fly back to the glove for a little bit of food and then start to look around like all right where's the next thing that i'm gonna chase yeah <laughs> she doesn't have to catch something it, the fun for her is going after there and just pursuit.
0: Yeah, because that, that's one thing I noticed in a lot of your videos, like she'll take one shot at, at some of these, uh, whatever the the item, whatever the target might be. I guess that's a proper, proper term. Um, and in and, and oftentimes it's evading her. It's being frightened off by her. And she's not continuing the pursuit because that's what I was wondering. Like, you know, how does she know when to stop? How does she know to stop? You could just chase them off into the abyss and like, you know, continue the pursuit and be out of. Earshot, I guess. I don't know how much she relies on.
1: It depends on the. It depends on the day. Sometimes she's um. (laughs) Sometimes, like our first uh, slip, our first flight of the day, she'll go chase something for three hundred yards and will not give up. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Other times she'll see something. Maybe she's already chased after eight or ten birds. Maybe she's getting a little tired, and she'll just know. Ah, uh, that bird's a little too far, a little too fast for me. And you can tell she just knows when to when to give up, and she'll circle right back to me. So I think she she kind of knows what she can handle what she's capable of. But, um, besides just chasing birds to keep her training up and to keep her motivation, keep her drive and her speed up, I also have a drone that I'll have her chase,
0: okay, because so I was going to get into the drone thing because I knew oh, yeah. at least in some areas for some, in some capacity, I, I had heard of, uh, of of hawks being used specifically for like I don't know if it's like for security reasons or or whatever to to take out drones. I didn't know if she was oh, doing that intentionally.
1: Drones. I saw that with an eagle being trained to attack a drone and drop one. Right? Is yeah. that what you're into?
0: I think so. I don't know if it's like at military bases or something to stop like spying or whatever the case may be. Like specific training. <clears throat> I've heard from guys that like to use drones for like their YouTube channels, you know, losing a drone to a bird naturally anyway. It seems like they would just want to attack it regardless. But I was curious about like if she's trained to take down drones for a purpose, but you, you made it, men- you made mention that it's actually a tool that you use for training reasons for purposes.
1: Yeah, so he's not trained to drop a drone, but yeah. what I do is I have hanging below the drone in a, like a little clothespin. I have a parachute. And that parachute runs down to 20 feet to this like piece of leather that looks like a bird. Okay. And since she was a little little hawk, Um, she was taught that anytime she sees that piece of leather that looks like a bird, there's a food reward on it and she's gonna get a lot of food. So she better chase after that thing that kind of looks like a bird. And that's just kind of our our training. We always have that little, we call it a lure. And it, it's just this big oval that has leather wings hanging off the side of it. And anytime she sees that, she just knows food, 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 got to chase it. So she doesn't chase after the drone per se, but more the okay. thing dangling below it. And I'll, uh, I'll fly it away from her. I'll have her chase after it just to get her speed up and to show her to continue to, to chase after yeah. things. Even yeah. Higher. Cause
0: I didn't know, I mean, I don't own a drone, but you know, it's like, it's got a series of spinning blades and propellers. I was like, I would think that that could like cause an issue, but, um, yeah. So obviously, you know, airport security or for safety purposes to stop and prevent there from being bird strike or whatever in an airport, you know, I I get that. But I guess maybe unique to our ecosystem in Florida is that is that we have such an abundance of these different kinds of unwanted or invasive species of of animals. And I thought how interesting to use that method for like, you know, interdiction of of some of these pesky uh, different kinds of invasive animals we have. So tell me a little bit about the work she does there with, whether it be an invasive. I don't know. Maybe maybe. Uh, what are examples of different kinds of invasive species she does go after, and and how she's kind of playing a a role in in Florida's efforts to combat or control some of those different animals?
1: So one of the species we chase after a lot are those collared doves, the small little collared doves. Um, they are horrible for our ecosystem out here they harbor a ton of disease they are just little disease ridden tiny flying rats in my opinion (laughs) and so that's one of the birds that we chase a lot of and then um let's see also our uh our crows our fish crows and our american fish crows they are really good at scavenging and distributing uh, well they're a native species so i wouldn't you know group them in there with that invasive species harassment but Mm -hmm. um They uh, they're really good at spreading waste and medical waste and diseased just things out of uh, landfills or other areas where we work at besides just airports. And we'd like Mm to uh, chase those crows out a lot of the landfills to prevent them from distributing food and scraps and things that should remain inside. Now
0: now I would be worried about crows fighting back. Like, like, I don't know. I would think like, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not, up on my bird knowledge, but you know, you crow is like. They seem like they're like in a posse, like in a gang. I'd be like, as is there a concern about some of these animals, like propensity to defend themselves or or to go on the offensive?
1: Have you ever seen um <laughs> small little grackles chasing after like a red shouldered hawk or like you'll see eight or ten small yes. little birds all bouncing and will like
0: them. ride on them. They're like I've seen them riding uh, them. <laughs> oh, geez.
1: So, I mean. <laughs> Some of those little birds, I think they just know that they're too small and fast that they can get out of the way. Yeah. And maybe that larger <laughs> hawk was like by a nest or something like that. But I do have to be a little cautious with her. Mm-hmm. She um she doesn't know how small she is. She's about two pounds. She wants to take down anything. She wants to go after a big game. And so I have to sometimes rein her back in and not let her chase after like a vulture because that could, that could be bad news. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was funny. A couple of weeks ago, actually, I had her sitting on a perch out here, drying in the sunshine. And we have a red-shouldered hawk that lives around here in my neighborhood. And I could hear the red-shouldered hawk getting closer and closer. He came down and tried to grab a tail feather from her, showing that this is his neighborhood and she better move on. (laughs) So luckily, I was right there to kind of like shoo him off. Um, But you do have to be, you have to be aware, you know, not every Opportunity for her to chase something is a good opportunity. It might look like it on the surface, but you have to take mm-hmm. in a little consideration. Look around, what are some of the other variables? Is there a telephone wire with a big um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the thing? A big transformer on it, yeah, you know? She yeah. fly up there and land on a transformer. Um, my sites in the wintertime, I have to look out for bald eagles. We have a ton mm. of bald eagles around uh the Fort Myers Airport. So I'm always looking for them um, and they could be circling up high in the sky and you not see them and they make a dive on your bird. So there's a lot of other variables that I'm always kind of like looking for to make sure that
2: we keep her, keep her safe.
0: And Mm -hmm. like the, I've seen like with the iguanas, which is like, good gracious. Like you talk about something that, (laughs) I mean, there's, there's some areas I go probably more on the East coast than our (laughs) coast. Although they're they're, there. I mean, I, Here in Naples, we go, my daughters go out with flashlights at night and catch. They like, we've been finding a lot of the baby ones lately. Iguanas all over the place. But I've seen some with, with with now the iguanas, I would think she would be very effective with that. Other than obviously some of them are like the size of a crocodile.
2: We had, we
1: were were down in Key West at the Key West airport. (laughs) And there was two iguanas sunning themselves. One was a massive male. He was all green and had a really uh, red uh, throat pouch he was every bit of five feet long, you know, from his head to his tail. He was huge. And he was laying next to like a two foot iguana. And I was hoping she would go for the two footer, but she went <laughs> right for the big male iguana. And I kind of got video of it, but she's in tall grass. She went for a little ride. He carried her along, yeah. <laughs> kind of rode on and held on with his talons and, and then eventually hopped off. And, um, I went over there to go kind of like interject and save her and the iguana started whipping his tail at me so mm-hmm. i think we just found the biggest meanest baddest iguana out there um that she just couldn't quite couldn't quite get. but uh we have caught a couple other iguanas where she just makes a really successful grab right on top of the head i'm able to grab the iguana trade her off of it give her she likes mice so when she catches something i cover it up with a towel so that way it kind of clears her memory and she yeah. forgets what she just caught
2: right? It,
1: pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> yeah, And I'll have a mouse or she likes quail. I'll give her a little quail wing and just kind of wave it in another direction. She'll step off what she caught and eat a mouse instead. So,
0: yeah. Eat, and like, yeah. in like, you know, I, I guess it's important to note, like it's, it's, I'm, I don't want to get caught up on the exciting part of it that she's chasing down an iguana and catching it. And cause people might be like, Oh, that's cruel. Why would you do that to the iguana? Like what? I mean, you see these iguanas, beautiful looking lizard, but so I think it's very easy to like not realize what damage they can do. I mean, what can an iguana do? I mean they're they're what 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 harm are they really causing?
1: They're causing a ton of harm. they're uh, not as bad as the Burmese python, which I could easily launch into um but your iguanas here, you know they're a lot of them are egg eaters, and they're going to be eating your um eggs and your bird nests. They're eating uh, reptile nests, so they're going to be eating our native reptile eggs. Uh, They've also been seen eating uh, young fledgling birds that can't quite leave the nest yet. They're able to scramble up into those trees, onto concrete walls, and eat the young fledgling birds, so they're knocking down um, our native bird population significantly. Um, And then also, they just cause a lot of damage to people's Yards and homes and things like that. I guess um, we also have them in some areas where we have the burrowing owl, which is an endangered species. And they've been uh. going into burrowing owls, burrows. So, um, you know, a couple other animals that we got to protect over the iguana.
0: Yeah, because I, I know there's been times where I was fishing around like Lake Ida or just some of the canals over, well, especially everywhere. on the East Coast, where, where they're just like all over the seawalls. They're just like, lined up along the seawalls and it immediately got me to thinking like you know you know that they're digging and I'm like thinking like I mean my old house not my new house we were on the water and it was like seawall maintenance or like getting seawall restoration and, and repair is not cheap and I'm just thinking like surely those things are like digging down and like causing erosion and like just messing up the integrity of seawalls, like I would think that could be a massively expensive problem, and I, we could sit here and talk all day about that. And I don't necessarily want to get dragged into to that hole, but I think it's so fascinating that now something like like a bird of prey could be contracted to to help combat that. It's just it's neat the different like angles you can come at it from. Obviously, there's traps. Obviously, there's I don't know air guns, but to deploy. A bird of prey just it just sounds badass so I'm like, oh, that is so cool,
1: but it is uh, more effective um my friend lives in Isla yeah. Mirada and I went over to their private property uh, a couple months ago and flew her around She caught a couple iguanas and the next day they didn't see any iguanas there and the day after that mm-hmm. they were like maybe on the fence like looking in but the wildlife they they see what happened to their friend you know they yeah. they <laughs> know what happens and they're gonna they're gonna go so it's it's effective yeah.
0: Well, it's, and there's obviously there's no way that we're gonna see more than she sees. And like, if you're out there scouting for iguanas, you, like the field of vision, obviously, the, everyone knows that how notorious the vision of birds of prey are, and then their vantage point being higher. She surely she can see everything that we can't see and find the ones that are hiding in places we can't find them. But but that's. Um, It's just so interesting to me. And then I I guess uh, I could sit here and ask all day. uh, Let's say outside of working and having, you know, I I know I'm sure that there's more purposes that she'll probably um, play, but it's also, I guess, a a really unique educational tool as well. Are you getting invited to like schools or events or like, I don't know if I want to say zoos, but like surely there's like Fairs and like, how much exposure is she getting to be used as like an educational tool on top of a working animal?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm definitely trying to do more outreach. I think it's really important. It's important for people to get to see a bird of prey up close like this. It's important Mm -hmm. that people learn that there are jobs where you're working with wildlife like this. So I, I always, always try to do as much outreach as possible. Um, I was getting cracked corn in a tractor supply yesterday and. Folks pulled up and they said, that's a hawk in your truck. What's what's going on with that? And I got her out of the truck. I want to ride around with me on the passenger seat. And um, I got her out and let these two families, you know, just have a wonderful moment in nature, you know. And um, I just I think about how when I was a young girl, when I got to see birds of prey up close and when I got to see snakes up close, how much that formed my life, you know. And mm-hmm. so I'd like to try to do that for. For kids, for adults, you know, for, for anyone, I think it's amazing for them to see these birds. I, I personally would love to get into, um, like retirement communities and go to,
2: yeah.
1: um, maybe some areas, like maybe like a hospice where people can't really leave, but bring something impressive in and just try to brighten their day a little bit and show them something.
0: Oh, yeah, neat. I know that's what I was kind of curious is like how much leeway you have to even not that it's about having a side hustle but it's like, you know, it's, I don't know if you're getting dispatched or like you're receiving a call. Like, I don't even know how, what the response is with, uh, with working, but then I'm thinking like, you know, I don't know if she's quite, you know, the balloon animals and kids birthday party thing either. That (laughs) that could probably be a problem. They're all running. I don't think she's like that. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Screaming. And so, um,
2: well, I
1: do have one Hawk. His name, um, his name is Larry bird and, uh, he's, (laughs) He's my kind of like outreach hawk. I brought him up to uh, Jacksonville for Earth Day with the Marine Corps. And it was amazing. I had 30 kids from Marine Corps families that all got to go right up close. Pet little Larry Bird, got to look at him. Every bird has their own personality. Larry will let, you know, anybody touch him. He didn't care. So um, that was really an amazing (laughs) event for me to be able to let those kids pet a hawk.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's I know it's something that like my, especially my older daughter's like very much into like the wildlife. Like she, like every moving animal stops her in a track. So I'm like, I always want to facilitate that. And uh, we've had two occasions where we found injured barred owls on the side of the road. Although one of them, it was actually funny. I was on my way to work and it was during a horrible like lightning storm and rainstorm. And I saw it on the side of the road at night. I was working night shift. And, uh, so I'm like, Oh no, you know, it's injured. It's hurt. And it was just, you know, it was just sitting there. I think it was like stunned maybe from a lightning or something, but like I picked it up and took it home. And then like the next morning we like, you know, cause I thought it'd be a fun adventure like for my kids. Like we took it to a, you know, a, a one of those wildlife rehabilitation centers. So it was like a cool place to take the kids. And uh, they're like, they, you know, gave us a number like we could call to check in on how it was doing. Like the next day, they're like, oh, yeah, that owl was completely fine. No problem at all. I'm like, what? How did I pick it up? Like, there's no (laughs) broken bones. No, I guess it had just gotten kind of like discombobulated from the storm. I don't know. I I wrapped a blanket around it and stuck it in my Jeep. I'll admit, like, I thought maybe I had made a big mistake because that thing jumped up on the side of like the passenger seat and was like looking at me. And making this like terrifying clacking noise with its beak. Yeah, I'm like I'm mm-hmm. about to get attacked
1: while like, driving. What do I do? <laughs> I
0: was like, I think I just messed up. Like I think I just what have I got myself into? And oh, that's uh, so but anyway, yeah. It's, but uh, that was a fun one. But and then we had another one actually here in Fort Myers. We found one on the side of the road. I think it had probably been hit by a car, but it wasn't like it was just like a little bit messed up. And we and we took that one to a place. But I was disappointed. Like we, I wanted to like. It'd be neat if there was, I guess you can't like be touring facilities like that. You know, you can't walk around behind the scenes, but I wanted to. But anyway, I want to, um, <laughs> we could make this whole thing about the Hawks. It's like, I yeah, have to,
2: like, I can, my, I can, Yeah.
0: but I'm sure I don't want your arm to get tired. Your hawk holding arm to get too tired.
1: I think this for four hours, uh, when I'm <laughs> in an airport. So I just kind of prop my elbow up and she weighs two pounds. It gets tiresome after a little while, oh, yeah. but she can hang well, out.
0: We'll we'll slowly move away. I may bring up the hawk a few times uh, between now and then. So I don't know if you need to like set her to the side, and we'll kind of we'll kind of uh, transition to other things because there's a lot more to you as just an outdoors person than uh, than just uh, falconry. But I, that's mm-hmm. such a unique one. I'm like, we got to start with that because that is like you know I I can hear fishing stories all day, but when's the next time I get to get to talk to somebody that gets paid to sick up. Uh, bird of prey on an iguana like can't make it <laughs> can't make that stuff up but mm-hmm. much, i'm a lucky
1: lady i know that much <laughs>
0: probably a much more entertaining day at work than what i experience day to day but um, your experience in the, in the outdoors is obviously like i said very dynamic uh it's, it's very unique that you're getting to do these things like uh, you know We'll gloss over the Python thing. I've got another guest that's like another Python hunter, and I like to do the but. I also know I've seen the photos of you wrangling these giant pythons. So it's like you're wrangling pythons. You're you're carrying this bird of prey in your vehicle. and passed like straight up riding shotgun. I mean, it, <laughs> I get to encourage anybody to check out your your Instagram and stuff like that because it's just like I don't know how you've not become like this viral megastar. Not that that's like you know not that that's important but i'm like it's all uh, awesome stuff um so it's like a lot of florida man stuff florida woman stuff florida person things are you originally you're not originally from florida though right you went to university so how did you end up here i guess i, I got to know that
1: yeah um so i'm from pennsylvania originally um but i fished in the florida keys with my dad like every summer in high school so I knew about Florida and its fishery, you know, when I was around a teenager or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up in Florida in 2017. I took a job with Big Cypress National Preserve, which is a preserve that butts up right next to Everglades. They have Mm -hmm. similar ecosystems, but um, people don't know the name Big Cypress, so I have to mention Everglades. Uh, So I took a job there right after Hurricane Irma doing environmental education. And I would take every sixth grader from Collier County on a swamp walk through Big Cypress, and we would identify trees. We'd identify um fish. We would go, you know, netting in the water. ID fish, oh, yeah. <laughs> water quality studies, do weather studies, and things like that. So I started showing kids how amazing this ecosystem is in Florida. And and doing that, I realized, you know, yep, this is a place I'd like to call home and and live here for a while. So I I got that job on a whim. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really glad I took it and and came yeah, out
0: here. I think I saw somewhere on one of your pages your your like self-proclaimed title is like uh professional pointer at of things. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like well, that's a hell of a job. I'm like professional. I guess I should change that. <laughs> when I
1: was a park ranger, I always I had to point at stuff. I was always pointing there, look there, look there. Um <laughs>
0: now park ranger because i looked and you know i obviously i do a little bit of homework i don't just bring people on and not know jack Middley crap about them like i want to know who i'm i'm talking to and you know again i see that you spent time in uh did, were you in hawaii even for a while? What?
2: volcanoes
0: the- Volcanoes. Yeah. glaciers everglades like out in california it's, like, it's it's crazy but then i think you know park ranger has got to be a really hard job. Not being that I have spent some time personally in like law enforcement. Anytime you're at least an element of your job is like keeping other people safe, keeping other people responsible There's got to be a little bit of that involved. And then I saw, did you spend time in um re- were you at Yellowstone or were you at uh uh what's the other yeah, one You're in Yellowstone? Oh wow. So surely you follow this page, the Turons of yellowstone are you a follower of that page
1: i am and i will never work <laughs> in yellowstone again it was it the Jesus. worst place ever.
2: <laughs> oh. i love it the
1: national park but if you're a park ranger it is the most stressful place to work there's just people that think they're at disneyland and they're yes. at the national park
0: incredible anybody listening to this if you want to like waste hours of your day getting angry and then laughing at the same time you got to check out this page it's called tour the tourons of Yellowstone. it's like a play on words tourists morons of yellowstone these complete world-class idiots who have no business being in the outdoors (laughs) getting off the trail off marked trails walking up to bears walking up to bison, it is amazing how often you read these stories of people getting gored by a bison. Like, it's, it had to have happened 20 times last year. I'm like, this is, how is this happening? These idiots with their phones out, like, taking a selfie with them. Like they, So, you surely, you don't have any firsthand accounts, do you? Like, any, you got any good stories of, like, getting a front-row seat to somebody nearly killing themselves to be get think, get a good selfie.
1: Oh I mean there's so many at Yellowstone. I saw people off trail walking by the hydro by the uh, geothermal features every uh, day. Yeah. Every
0: day. Hang out by the boiling hot scalding water. <laughs>
1: yeah. The ground is so unstable. They're like I'll just go off this little boardwalk and, and walk over to this Crack that's glowing bright blue and red and has steam <laughs> radiating out of it. Why would you want to get any closer to that? I, I don't understand. Um, yeah, I ran into a lot of torons. I think I might have submitted <laughs> a video or two. Uh, it was it was overwhelming. Yeah, uh, I think the worst incident was in Hawaii when I worked in Hawaii and there was an active eruption going off. Kilauea, uh, had I knew erupted. it. Yeah, and we have multiple lines that say hazard do not cross like skull and crossbones in multiple languages we had yeah, yeah the skull and crossbones that's pretty universal right don't go through there there's pirates um,
0: over there
2: yeah it's a pirate have, show
1: <laughs> maybe they have uh, booty maybe they got you know loot um no yeah. it was so crazy i we had three different perimeter lines so like you knew that you were going into a closed area if you went under those lines. So God. I remember getting a call once that there was a guy standing over the active flow where it was. So the flow was traveling maybe about two miles from this hillside, going down and then spewing like a fire hose out, crashing over the cliff and down 80 feet into the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. So this guy was standing, taking video, standing on an unstable cliff, watching molten hot rock from. I don't know, a hundred feet away from him. Just get thrown into the atmosphere. He was in the most unstable, unsafe area ever. And and two other officers had to go out there and we're yelling at this guy using our bullhorn, telling him to get back. I didn't want to get any closer to him and risk my own livelihood. They Um, train
0: hawks to attack people like, geez.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Go for the
0: eyeballs.
1: Drop a message. Get out of (laughs) here. Yeah
0: snatch so, um, his stupid iPhone out of his hand.
1: That was the worst. Yeah. That was the absolute worst. And then I remember the guy walking back out of the closed area and he just had the funniest look on his face. Like he didn't think he had done anything wrong. He he was just getting, you know, good, good video for his Instagram. And it just, Jeez. it infuriated me. Yeah. I'm
0: not surprised at all though. Like, you know, I, I mean, you're constantly reading these stories of people who fall to their deaths off cliffs because they were, they got, too close to the edge of the canyon for a selfie and it's um, these
1: things too yeah it's crazy you want to document everything get too close to the edge the i just saw a video of a gal that fell 80 feet down a waterfall she walks up to the waterfall to take a video and it's slick there's moss growing on it Mm. you and i would know not to get any closer to that waterfall but she wanted to shoot a video and goes sliding down the 80 foot waterfall breaks a bunch of bones in her back and like why are we doing this for social media? Do it media? for the
0: gram. We do it for
1: the gram. I'm sorry, uh, you can cut this whole part out. I know it's a rant, um, but no, yeah, no, this is
0: this is good stuff here. <laughs> a good uh, message for the public. But hey, you know, I it doesn't surprise me because I had one summer job. I've had a lot of crazy jobs, but one of them that I enjoyed one summer, like between college semesters, I worked at a wildlife park. And, uh, you know, I got to work with alligators. I got to work with venomous snakes. I would take people out on tours in like, these big, giant, like, 17-person canoes into the swamp. And, like, you know, I got to point out wildlife. And as much dangerous stuff as I got to work with, and, like, like, the worst area that I could work was the butterfly house. And people always laugh when I say that. Because these damn kids would come in there trying to clap them out of the air. Stomp the ones they saw on the ground, no. and I'm like, "This is the worst part of my day: is yelling at these kids." And I'm just like, "These are the kids that grow up to be tourons of Yellowstone. Like you, little rat, rat children. I'm like, oh, please put me back in the put me back in the enclosure with the rattlesnakes because this is hell." yeah, sometimes the uh, animals
1: are easier to deal with than the people. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I just I I saw that when like you know your experience working in all these different. National parks, I'm like, I know she has got to have seen some absolute, like, fool like foolish people. And people get lost out there and stuff. Oh, yeah. But so, you know, you end up settling. And maybe you're not settled yet. But certainly your journey has brought you to Florida. So Florida, at least, you know, you, as, say what you will about some of the crazy people here and, and, and tough conditions. You know, Florida has apparently beat out some amazing places that you've been. But I wonder at what point... Like, because obviously, and we're going to kind of get into the fishing side of things. This is a fishing podcast, and, and we're, we're getting there. But, you know, at what point did, I don't know, you pick up a fishing rod and, and decide, you know, I love being outdoors. I love working with animals. I love just, I don't know, whatever you do. But at what point did fishing kind of start to take precedence? I mean, I see you've got the photos of the snook in the background. I see some, some artwork um, back there related to fish. So I know fishing is near and dear to your heart specifically fly fishing, were you, was that like a Montana thing? Obviously you're out in trout country and Mm -hmm. then it transitioned here to Florida. But like, tell me about, I don't know, the journey as an angler. At what point did you kind of become a a fisherman, a fisher woman?
1: Yeah. Well, I grew up fishing with my dad. We'd go to like New Jersey, catch little bass, little crappie and stuff like that. Um, They moved to the outer banks in North Carolina when I was 18 and I kind of like put away fishing when I was like a younger teenager. And then when my folks moved there, I remember catching redfish with my dad in the surf and we're standing in waders. It's freezing cold. There's waves splashing up in our face. And he yeah. and I are doubling up on little redfish. And it was just one of the best memories I ever have with my dad. And like kind of from 18 on, I fell hard back into fishing and really wanted to pursue it more and more. Um, Where I lived in Colorado, I messed, or when I went to Colorado State University, I was messing around with like a little tenkara rod and a small spinning rod. I hadn't quite picked up fly fishing. Um, Fly fishing, when did I start that? Yeah, you did the tenkara for a couple years. Um, It was right before the pandemic. It was uh, early 2020. Um, Mangrove Outfitters in Naples, they had posted something on their Instagram that said, calling all ladies, have you ever wanted to learn how to fly fish? Come on out. And like, I am so, so, so lucky that I saw that ad because I drove out there, did the casting lesson and I was like, absolutely floored. I knew that that was the only thing I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue fly fishing and put the spinning rod away for a while. Um, So just that fly casting, like behind a fly shop in an empty parking lot was amazing. I just, I really loved... just the feel of that line in my hand, it was just so different. And the really neat thing was I was taught by three women. So that fly fishing clinic was for women given by women. And I met those, the three ladies that were doing the clinic. We all went out after and like got drinks and food and continued to, to talk about fishing. And they're my best friends. They are still fishing with me to this day. And it was just amazing. Like the community that started to show up once I started to uh, get more and more involved in fly fishing. So I fell like head over heels in love with fly fishing. And I think having the job in Florida and fly fishing both kind of come together at the same place is what made this feel like home, you know?
0: Yeah, Um, that's cool. I've always kind of admired that about like some of the, like the, the really authentic and like passionate women anglers that I've, that I've seen is like, they seem like they're wild. Uh, sadly, and mysteriously few and far between much better yeah. community. You get like two men who don't know each other that like both fish. It's almost like a the competitive, like filter comes on. It's like, I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm better than you. But it's like, it seems like, uh, you know, when two diehard women anglers see each other, there's like an immediate bonding that takes place. So yeah. it's, I don't know. I, I want that for for my kids. Again, I'm a father of daughters. And, uh, you know, I always wonder what's stopping, you know, uh, more women from getting into it or at least certainly staying the course. But, uh, you know, I, I observe a little bit of it because the neighborhood kids, mostly girls, they always want me to take them fishing. And I'm just there just untangling knots out the wazoo. This is nothing but untangling knots and like praying nobody gets hooked. But I get, like, fearful that, like, you know, and I try to, like, instill this in my daughters. Like, I, I actually feel like, and they've come home with stories that, uh you know, because they like my – especially my older daughter. Like, during recess, you know, they're they're playing games. They're playing this and that. And it's like as she's getting older, it's – people are, I don't know, taking more traditional roles or whatever. And my daughter's out there trying to catch lizards on the playground, digging, up uh, li- li- flipping rocks and trying to find frogs. And, you know, she's mm-hmm. like, oh, they're – you know, the other girls are, you know, basically giving a crap about it. I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, what the heck? So it's, um... I,
1: there's I, not... I, kids I, don't grow up like how you and I grew up much anymore. So I'm yeah. so glad your daughter is out there flipping over rocks, <laughs> looking for creepy crawlies, playing in a creek. Like, it's sad, but that's just not how kids play anymore.
2: Yeah.
0: Not- well, I think when there's enough... It, it's What's funny is she tells me about the boys that are, like, squealing and get yucky and i was like well you know what there's a lot i don't want all those voices in her ear to like stop her from doing things but uh you know i think for people who wear it's an inherent interest whether they get away from it for a while it's like it always kind of circles back so um but anyway it's like i you know to make it clear like you're you're like a real fisherman like a real angler. i look through your stuff i'm like man especially with a fly rod like i guarantee if if like, there was a competition, like, out in the middle of the 10,000 islands. It looks like that's where you spend a lot of your time. I'd be interested just in the – I'd be interested just in the 10,000 islands as a fishery. Um, You'd probably fish me under the table out there. I mean, just just dominate. But uh, is that where you spend most of your time fly fishing? Like, I think a lot of your photos look like the Everglades. I know your, your Instagram handle is, like, Everglades Erica. It's not e- Erica Everglades, is it?
1: It's Everglades <laughs> Erica. Yeah.
0: So you're spending a lot of time out there. I mean, how are you getting out there? That's like a disorienting type of place. I've been out there a few times. I'm like, I could see people getting lost out here. Ooh, it's, yeah. a, it's like a it feels like you're in a different world, but just describe the just describe the fishery. Like, what is what are the your preferred target species if we're to go down the fishing realm yeah. a little bit deeper?
1: Yeah. Well, um I started off as a kayak fisherman. I bought a little 12 foot kayak when I moved out here. And that's how I kind of started to learn the 10,000 islands was, Mm -hmm. well, I got to learn everything within like a four mile radius of Chukulesky Bay. That's what I can successfully paddle to. And I want to learn that fishery that's really close. So I kind of started small and local. And then um, I bought a boat. It's a 15 foot skiff uh, about three years ago. And that was that just opened so many doors, and I can launch the boat by myself, run it. I've ran that boat thirty miles into the back country by myself. Like that boat is independence to me, and I just love it so much. Um, so once I got that boat, I really started exploring more in the Ten Thousand Islands, going into the back country, going in skinny waters. Um, my boat can float in like four inches of water, so I can get oh, yeah. into <laughs> amazing little places where other people can't. And um, I just started really falling in love with exploring and finding rivers and finding oyster bars and things like that. So, um, having that boat really just allowed me to explore in a whole new, wonderful way. Um, and since then I've, I'm learning how to pull on my boat and I'm learning how to pull and how to have a fly rod stripped down and try to catch a fish on fly with a pole. And like, there's so many, oh, oh yeah. my gosh, there's so <laughs> many variables with that. Um, but yeah, having that boat has really just helped me learn so much as an angler. And there's days I go out there and just look. I'll go out and just
2: mm-hmm.
1: pull along and check out new shorelines, check out new oyster bars, things I've wanted to explore for a while. And I might not even fish, but there's a lot of research that you got to a lot of you know time you got to spend here in the 10,000 islands if you're going to fish it well. This place is hard to fish. You know, yeah. there's a lot of ground to cover. I think we have over a million acres of mangroves and water that you can explore out here so how do you find where to fish within a million acres Um, yeah (laughs) you you gotta put a lot of time in there and you have some days when you get skunked and some days where everything comes together and you have a really fishy day um so i'm always just trying to explore new areas and learn learn new passes i mean you could spend a lifetime out here in the 10k and
0: that is definitely an environment or, like, an arena that I found real quickly. Like, you could really, like, sharpen your sword out there as an angler, just understanding, like, the relevance of tides, the movement of water, like, how, like, moving water affects different kinds of... Especially, like, a snook. Like, that, that is a great, like, measure of an angler as far as species go because they're very abundant. They're not always willing. They're very much dictated by the movement of water seems to like, especially attract him. Is that, is that probably what is like the main fish you're chasing out there? Probably snook or is it, I see a tarpon, uh, like sculpture or something over oh, there. Oh, I love
1: tarpon. Yeah. Those are three little tarpons. I cut them out and painted them a while ago. You made uh, that. I did. Yeah. I need to get back into it. And I made, um, I don't know. I got a snook up there. Got a redfish and some trout. I have just a little, um,
0: I'm so jealous of your fish room like what the heck like
1: well this is actually my studio so this is my one room um <laughs> so don't <laughs> be cool. jealous of that but uh yeah. so snook i love snook when i first moved here tarpon were the only fish i wanted to catch like that
2: mm-hmm. oh that's an easy that sell fish. there yeah
1: well i was very spoiled where i lived in big Cypress, um we had a canal that ran on my backyard and since it was government-owned property it's government, you know. Government controls the access. They did not allow any um non-government person oh, to nice. yeah. on that canal. Right <laughs> I got to. I think I caught more tarpon on fly in the first year of fly fishing than any other species. And they just helped me learn so much how to feed a fish, how to Jeez. how to so you know keep them you, on, how to bow to the king, and like yeah. You, I'm. You
0: learned how to fly fish by chasing tarpon. Like, amazing.
1: That's a like, well, still like, yeah.
0: Well, geez. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people like, oh, I started with bluegill at golf course ponds. You start with like one of the most premier, like globally pursued species targets on the fly. (laughs) I mean, everything gets easier from there, maybe uh, to a degree. I guess debatable. I'm not much of a fly fisherman myself, but some I know how to do it, something I should do more often. But uh, yeah, that's crazy. So you started with tarpon. Now, have you graduated on to like the big boys? Like the bit the bigger one. Like the big ones, I I've been in Florida for five years, still haven't caught I still haven't caught a big one yet. Yeah. Um, it's a dang shame,
2: too.
1: Well, they are a tough fish. And you know, like I think it's fine that it takes years for that accomplishment to happen. I mean, they're a tough fish. They're a tough fish. Sometimes it's fun just to have them roll at your fly or you get them to jump once. Like that's an accomplishment in my book. If you get a tarpon to the boat you get the fly out you get your lure out and you get to look at that fish and you get to see their giant eyes staring back at you like that's an accomplishment that if it happens only once every five years like that's that's amazing yeah Um, so with those fish i i haven't caught a big one on the fly yet i think my biggest on fly is maybe like 40 50 pounds um but last year my buddy and I. We went out fishing all day long on my little boat, on my little skiff. We caught some nice fish and then a huge thunderstorm rolled through, and I was way too far in the backcountry to run out of it. So oh, yeah. we tucked up under a mangrove and just kind of waited it out. And after the storm rolled out, there was tarpon rolling everywhere. They were rolling everywhere, they were huge. And I casted out um, a little live target and first cast, bam, I was hooked onto like a 70, 80 pounder, something like that. Oh. And that was, the, that's the biggest fish I've ever landed on my little tiny boat. And yeah. it was, it was an amazing day because I just thought like, oh, are we going to get hit by lightning? Is this a bad idea? And it just all it was a great reward, you know, sticking it out through that storm and landing that tarpon. So
0: well, like you seem like a lot of your work. I mean, this is something that you do recreationally because it's fun for you. But then like on, on it sounds like at least a lot of your experience professionally has been very community driven, educational, involved in the outdoors. Have you like attempted or like do you, have, have you done any guiding? Have you thought about like tying those two things together? Do you do yeah. anything like that?
1: Great question. Um, I did try to tie those two things together last year in Montana. Um, I was guiding okay. at a lodge out there, uh, you know, a stone throw away from Yellowstone National Park. So I'd take people from our lodge and take them into the national park and take them fishing in like the Firehole or in the Madison. And on our way driving through the park, I would talk about the pronghorn and talk about the the bison and talk yeah. about you know, <laughs> our elk and just kind of give them a little informational tour as we made it up to the to the fishing hole um so i was kind of combining those two things for a while and it worked out tremendously Uh, worked out really well until the yellowstone had a thousand year flood that hit and completely blew that river out did you see that last summer
0: i do think i read about that yeah that's that's a shame
1: it was a crazy flood so that flood pretty much um put me out of being a fishing guide and put me out of a job for for the summer so i got to do it for a little bit um Mm. but i would like to do that again um the birds kind of have me pretty occupied right now but down the road i mean i love education and i love teaching people about fishing and also teaching them about you know our ecosystem and why it's so unique and so kind of fragile too so um i think this winter there's there's Plans in the make um I might not be like my own guiding company, I might kind of like partner on with somebody, but there's yeah. there's plans um to start guiding and that sort of thing
0: yeah that, that'd be pretty cool. It's just you seem like you've got like the character for it because that's the thing like I know if I was especially somebody new or 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 especially somebody from out of state, like you know, you almost want the experience, especially somewhere like the everglades like it's it's such a iconic part of the country like you don't want to just go down there and only focus on it. some people might want to people like me would want to like like i want to know what kind of bird that is what kind of plants are those like you know you not you want the full thing so i think you would be able to provide that it's just i don't know like seeing your like skill set i'm like god she'd probably be a dominant guide if you ever got into that i mean you know i i see a guitar back there i see like a wakeboard back there it's like now you're doing art i'm like good lord Jack of all there's, trades.
2: Yeah. There's, there's stuff in
1: the, in the future. Like I need, I need just to make it happen, you know, um, to start guiding it's, it's a lot with insurance policy and things like that. Yeah. So it, it'll it happen in the future because it is, it's a huge passion of mine. And any friend that I take fishing, they will tell you that I'll just ramble on about the plants and the birds. I'm going to give you wildlife facts, whether you want to hear them or not, because it, this place is fascinating to me. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Be on the lookout. Maybe I'll have a guide service coming up here in the future.
0: Well, you're doing a lot of the fishing for fun. Have you done any like competitive fishing here locally? Any like local tournaments? Any kind of like, are are you entering the competitive realm?
1: Yes and no. Um, I've done a couple tournaments and they've never been much fun for me. I just like yeah. fishing for the fun of it. But, uh, my friend Christina, who is an incredible angler and you should totally interview her and her husband too. They both live in Naples. Um, huh. Christina and Jeff Ligutke. Um, what I the, did a tournament with Legutki.
0: Christ-
1: yeah, you know the Legutkis, right?
0: No, I don't. I don't. I just was trying to make sure I said the name right.
1: Yeah, I don't know how to
0: spell that, but I'll look them up for sure.
1: Yeah, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you their profiles. Shout and stuff. out to the
0: Legutkis if you are listening.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, Christina, thank you for pulling me to all those fish. Uh, <laughs> she pushed me around on a skiff for six hours. Um, we had a tournament two weeks ago and she pulled me to so many snook, a really nice redfish, and we ended up winning biggest snook and biggest redfish on fly. That's two women.
0: awesome.
2: Yeah, it was great. Oh, that's
0: even better. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, the fly fishing so, is really neat. I guess I, I wrote this down as corny as it might sound. It's like, oh, this is kind of like, this is where my mind goes. I'm like, <laughs> how many hawk feather flies have you tied?
1: Um, I have two hawk feather flies that I've tied. From one of your birds? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. that's great.
1: <laughs> they have all different kinds of feathers. They oh, have
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> the other feathers on the o- outside that are pretty tough and strong, but the ones that are more like soft and kind of downy below, mm-hmm. uh, those are almost like an ostrich feather. And ostrich feather is common material, so you can kind of use the little barbs and wrap them around flies. I'd have to... I'll take a photo of one. Like, I know I got one around here somewhere, but
0: yeah. I was like, as soon as I knew that you, I, I, you know, I know just from looking through your social that you do a little bit of your own fly tying. Obviously, you have an an artistic side to you, but then you have like a free source of feathers, whether it be (laughs) your hawks or what they pluck off of pesky airport birds. Like, Mm -hmm. surely she, surely she's tying flies from like her own hawks. Feathers, but it's like,
1: um, and you know, I've I've tied a redfish fly from my own hair before. Your, too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I talked to actually my episode. Well, this is like the timeline's getting all thrown off, but I have a my, my podcast next week is with this musky fly fishing guide. He's got like this long hair and this big beard. I was like, in a bind. Have you ever tied a musky fly with like your beard hair? He's like, yes, I have. I was like, he's like common sense. <laughs> You know, I think about that stuff, and I'm like, I'm a fisherman. So, like, I think of everything through, like, the, the lens of an angler. And I'm like, as soon as I see you training these birds, I'm like, I wonder if you could train, like, an osprey to, like, go get you a nice fresh mullet. Or, like, <laughs> can, can they be trained to find, like, bait pods for you? Or is this, like, now I'm venturing into stupid territory. Now now nope, I'm venturing you, into that. <laughs>
1: nope, 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 you are probably –
0: the hundredth million the hundredth that has to be that so
1: you're not alone and i think that's a great way that people are trying to you know connect the dots like well she likes birds she likes fish like how can they work together (laughs) Um, as far as i know no one's ever really been able to tame the spirit of an osprey uh most of these hawks Mm. if they capture something what they do is they land with it they're going to land on the ground they're going to land on a tree and, and sit with it that osprey flying away by they're taking their their ladyfish they're taking their mullet away with them they don't quite often land in the water and sit in a tree and perch so i don't know it's something to think about maybe down the road maybe i can try to work with an osprey but from what i've been researching is not really
0: you can pioneer it maybe who knows yeah i hadn't seen anything like that i'm "Mm, just gotta ask you know you, you observe them all the time dive bombing grabbing fish and you're just like you know, huh, well, I wonder if, you know, where in like Tibet, they're like got their golden eagles catching wolves and stuff. It's like, geez, surely an Ooh. osprey could be taught to get you some bait, some fresh bait, but always uh,
1: stuff to strive for, you know, you never uh, know. Maybe in a couple uh, of years.
0: That's my obligatory <laughs> stupid question for the day. But, um, you know, one of the photos that I saw, I'm very partial to like gar fishing and like, uh, different species of you know non-traditional game fish if you want to call them that but i saw that you'd caught alligator gar on the fly i'm like that is awesome was that like was intentional so awesome yeah, i was like is that where was that Louis- that had to have been like louisiana or texas yeah or that was louisiana
2: was- yeah
0: uh, i'm guessing you were chasing redfish and just couldn't pass up the opportunity but
1: chasing redfish and then my buddy was at the front of the boat and i was at the back of the boat standing up on his big tall polling platform and i saw what looked like you know, a log in the water with light fins. Like, well, let's see if it'll hit something that moves in the mud. And I just stripped it in the mud a couple times, and it hammered that thing. But I was scared I was going to break off on it, so we got him to the boat real fast. He was still green and really fresh, but it yeah. was it was awesome. Yeah,
0: that's a cool one. That's like that's like a topic. I, I need to like find somebody that specifically like fly fish for alligator gar because like. You know, I talk about it all the time, and it's like very ignorantly, people kind of like categorize them as like a big, dumb, stupid, like meat-eating fish. No, you can catch these things on the fly. You can catch these things on a lure. They get eight (laughs) feet long. Like, what's there to not like? But um, I saw that and immediately became envious and jealous. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She's freaking caught a dang alligator that's like bucket list stuff for somebody like me
1: oh but, yeah uh, i'm going back in a month and i'm so excited i want to go go look for some more big alligator gar out there uh, yeah. oh that's
0: geez i'll have to be watching that well uh yeah that that's freaking cool. But you'll be like, in
1: south america so you'll be you'll be doing plenty of fun stuff right
0: oh uh, yeah <laughs> i didn't know if i let i guess i I've, I've let that out of the bag by the time this releases, oh, <laughs> i will have already been but uh, I'm like Mr. Paranoia, like when it comes to big trips, I'm like, I don't want to let anybody know. I'm going to jinx it. If I talk about it, it's going to like be a blowout. I've already let, don't worry, I've already let that one out of the bag. So okay. if I fail, it's entirely on me. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to eat up all our uh, our time with all the crazy stuff that you, that you do. I, I hope I've done you service here, you know, like. All the stuff that you do, whether it be, you know, working in all these diverse ecosystems, what you do for our ecosystem, both as like an educational steward the work that you do with the hawk, entertainment value, just if you just want to, you don't even need to learn anything. It's entertaining to watch. (laughs) I called it. I called your bird. uh, like a drive by assault bird.
2: Uh, (laughs) I like (laughs) that. I like that. Oh, my God.
0: I got an assault gun. Now you got an assault hawk. (laughs) <laughs> Those videos are like some of the most badass things on the entire internet. I mean, this is so awesome. Like mm-hmm. so I encourage anybody to go to your pages to check out the awesome fishing stuff. They the hawk in and of itself could have its whole page, <laughs> whole star <laughs> attraction. But um, uh, you know, I always kind of end the same way. I want to direct people to to see your things because it's like that's where they're gonna get the real motivation from um and it was awesome to learn more about you you know you can sit there and i can i can look at all your cool pictures and photos but you know you want to you want to hear from the person like where the passion comes from and and things like that but somebody that wants to see some of your things how can they get uh, a hold of you how can they find you whether it's instagram whether it's whatever
1: yeah probably instagram is the best i would say just have them follow me at instagram uh everglades erica and then y'all are more than welcome to- to send me a message, ask me questions. Like I love talking about falconry with the online community. Um, there's definitely people that are more experienced than me, but I am more than happy to field, you know, their questions and kind of get them just more excited about what falconry is. So anybody, you know, send me a question. No question's a dumb question. And I look forward to talking to folks about falconry, fishing, pythons, the glades. Instagram is like, it can be an incredible platform to make great connections and make new friendships. So that's what I try to use it for.
0: Well, more and more, it's becoming a place where you have to really dig through a lot of silly, dumb stuff to find the real ones. And I think that Mm -hmm. if anybody goes and checks out your stuff, they'll quickly realize you're one of the real ones. I appreciate your time. I feel I I, I was like the whole time I was like rushing. Like I, I gotta be the one that, that like gets her on their podcast for, you've been on a few of them, but I'm like, I got to get her on here. Cause this stuff's just gold. You're like, I don't know. It's pure entertainment, but um, awesome stuff. So Erica Everglades, Erica, anybody listening that wants to go check it out, you will be entertained. You might learn some things. You'll see some cool fishing stuff, some cool wildlife, some great photography, some great landscapes, the Hawk stuff. It's like the whole range of awesome internet, uh, content. If you're into like real good, like authentic, cool stuff, that's one to check out. But, uh, Erica, I appreciate your time. And, uh, maybe you can let, let the hawk out to stretch its wings for a little bit before night, night time.
2: <laughs> yeah, girl. Yeah. This is Lilith. or I Ooh. call her Lil killer. That's her, her hood name. Lil, <laughs> Lil <Killa. laughs>
0: Oh, that is awesome. Yep. So Lilith, I'm sure she's got a few videos and photos out there and people got to check it out. But Erica, Yay. I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, David. It's been a great day.
0: Yep, absolutely. Have a good one. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Boundless Pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at BoundlessPursuitFishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit www.Boundless-Pursuit.com.